Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Andrew Boyd. I want to pick up from where Pastor Clive left off last week. If you haven't heard his message, which was called The Clock is Ticking, please listen to it. Okay, how many people have heard it? Would you recommend it? Would you say it's a must hear? Okay, please, please, if you haven't heard it, listen to it. You will be so encouraged and inspired by it because at the core of his message is that God is doing unprecedented things. That is a new thing. God is doing a new thing, which is really very, very exciting. And the purpose of it is to release a harvest before his return. (laughs) That's exciting. Come on, that's really good. So I want to pick up on that. He talked about preparing ourselves for that. We're having communion today. So I'm pointing that out to you now so you can prepare yourself for that. And there's one specific aspect that I will pick up on as I go along, which I feel the Lord has laid on my heart. But um, if you remember, he spoke from Isaiah 43. I'm just going to move this back a little. Isaiah 45, I beg your pardon. And I want to recap on some of the scriptures that he brought out because they are now words. They are alive. They are present. And it's as though the Lord is running a highlighter pen over passages in scripture. I'm finding particularly in passages of Isaiah are leaping off the page at me as though they've just been written. They are for today. And this one is important. Isaiah 45, 3. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places. That speaks of people. That's about people. You heavens above, verse 8, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Can you get the sense of that? On one, on one hand, God is pouring down. And on the other hand, the earth is opening up and springing up with his salvation. Can you get that sense? We pray for God's rain to fall, but actually what the Lord wants to do is from the innermost being of each of his people, streams of living water to flow. The two go together. 45.14, they will come over to you in chains. Who are these that are going to come over to us in chains? It's people. They will bow down before you and plead with you, saying, surely God is with you and there is no other. There is no other God. There is going to be a recognition that Jesus is Lord and that we are the people of God and that the world needs what we bring. It needs what we have. There is going to be a wakening up, an aha moment for the world. God is doing a new thing. 45.22, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. There is going to be a recognition of this. And people will look at you and see him. I went recently to Iraq and to Lebanon 
I've mentioned this a little bit before to you. I work with Release International. I'm a freelance journalist. I work with Release International, which serves the persecuted church. And people are being driven from their homes all over the place. They're being driven out of Lebanon. They're being driven out of Syria and into Lebanon by the chaos that's going on in Syria. They're being driven out of southern Iraq into the north of Iraq by the chaos that's been going on with Islamic State. Many of these people who are being driven out are Muslims. The majority of those who are being driven out are Muslims. They're being driven out by other Muslims. And for many of these people, there is an inoculation going on where they say, I have seen what we preach and I don't want it. I want something else. There's got to be something more than what we're experiencing and what we're suffering, what we're enduring and what we're going through. And that something more is Christ, who's revealing himself to them sovereignly and fulfilling what it says in Isaiah 45. He's doing it. Let me just tell you a few stories. This is Hanadi. These are not their names. They've asked for their names not to be given. She's from Homs in Syria. Have you seen the pictures of Homs on the telly? You know what she's come from. It's a pile of rubble. She's had lots of dreams and visions about Jesus. She said, I used to go to bed crying. I dreamt of a long, dark road where I just kept walking, and it was very tiring. And I saw a white light that held out its hand and said, I am with you. Don't be afraid. She says, I still get goosebumps. You feel those goosebumps now? This is a Muslim woman. This is Khalud, another Muslim woman. She was always, she says, searching for true love. Everything, the world falls apart around you. And she went to help to a church after her marriage broke down. She says, as I heard the people singing, I felt real peace, exactly reflecting the true love that I've been seeking for. So I asked God, Is the love I'm looking for, is it in this place? And I heard a clear voice telling me, I am the Lord your God. I am Jesus Christ. And she says, as I heard that voice, I became a believer. Now in her passion and enthusiasm, she posted stuff all over Facebook. Now in the Muslim world, You can get into a lot of trouble for saying, I'm now a Christian. And she got into a lot of trouble. Family, friends, relatives disowned her, threatened her life, attacked her. She had to leave. She lost her job. And she says, in spite of all this pressure, I am living in peace with Jesus. This is two Muslim women. I watched... I went to a church in Lebanon and I saw women with headscarves serving in the church. You kind of do a double take. Well, that's their culture. They have embraced Christ, but they still look like Muslims. But they've embraced the living God. The pastor of this church in Lebanon told us this. God is revealing himself to these people in dreams and visions in amazing ways. Hundreds and thousands say Christ is revealing himself in dreams. 
Hundreds and thousands this is happening too. So when you see what is happening in Syria, don't despair. God is still in control. He's shaking the tree to produce a harvest. One woman, he said, was desperate on the road, escaping with her children. Most of these people have lost members of their family. And she said, all of a sudden, I saw Christ ahead of me on the cross. Muslim, Muslim woman, no Christian teaching. And I was so happy. I was full of joy and peace. And the pastor says, today, this woman walks for an hour to get to church on a Sunday. God is shaking the tree, folks. When you see these things happening, chill. Give glory to God. Okay, he's at work. I'm not minimizing the trouble. I'm just saying God's in it. God's in it. He's a redeemer. And he's shaking the tree to produce a harvest. This is unprecedented. God is gathering people from the ends of the earth. And those people will need to be loved. They will need to be taught. They will need to be discipled. And we will need to do it. I have a sense that those scriptures in Isaiah were written for today. And I've spoken about Muslims, but when we were praying as a church for Israel, we prayed that we had an encounter meeting here. We were praying about stuff generally, and Isaiah started to lift off the page to me. Then we were praying, I think it was on a Saturday, twice for Israel. Goodness me. What I've just said about the Muslims coming to Christ, now think Israel. Think about the Lord restoring the Jews to Israel. Think about that, because actually that's the context that Isaiah's written about. It's about the Jews being restored to Israel. It's about them flooding back into the land that God has given them. God is shaking the tree. He's bringing them home. And the great thing about it is I see in my spirit these people that I photographed at the Wailing Wall. Norton's photographed these guys as well. Orthodox Jews, the, the, the ringlets, the boxes, passionate people praying for the return of Jesus. I see them rejoicing because they've come to know their Christ. I see it in my spirit. Can you just catch that? For them, it's the future, but I see it now. I see them going, Jesus, that the veil that's over their eyes, the veil that's across their heart is going. It's being removed. What Jesus did when he tore that veil is being fulfilled. The Jews are going to find their Messiah. Hallelujah. God is shaking a tree to produce a harvest. And like a good olive tree, he'll shake it a couple of times. It's going to shake. But I tell you this much, shaking is not comfortable. It's not comfortable. Please read Hebrews 12. I haven't got time to read it to you today. Please read Hebrews 12. We'll read a bit of it. What is our response to all of this? Well, we'll come on to that in a minute. But I just sense also in my spirit, and I have done at these prayer meetings, that the Lord talks about streams, rivers of living water that flow out of the heart of anyone who believes. <laughs> out of you, out of you, out of you, out of all of us. This is God's plan to water the earth. You see it in Genesis 2. You see it in the book of Revelation. 
God waters the earth with the water that flows from his throne. It's living water and whatever it touches brings life. Whatever it touches makes fresh. Whatever it touches just goes, wow. That flows from you. Now, what I saw in my spirit when we were praying was I saw, and I've seen it often over the years, these streams of water going out across a dry land, just rivers, streams of water, just, just water. But what I saw was the water touched with flames of fire and the water touched with gold. It's the best way I can explain it. You know what oil is like on water? Well, it's not that. This is, this is glory, which will flow from you. I had another picture, and I saw the same rivers of water, the same streams of water, but there was like steam coming off them. It wasn't steam, and it wasn't smoke. Best way I can describe it is it was perfume. And this is from you. From out of your inmost being will come the fire and the glory of God and the fragrance of Christ. You won't just bring refreshing. You won't just bring life to what you touch. You'll bring the experience of God's glory and the fragrance of Christ because it comes from the bellies of his people. What you store up in your hearts now will flow out from you. So we have a clear choice to stir up in our spirits the glory of God and the fragrance of Christ. And God is telling us to prepare for his unprecedented move. Please make a choice now to enlarge your hearts. Make a choice now to receive more of him because this world is gasping for him. These refugees, these Muslim refugees were gasping for hope and they found it and the church picked them up and cared for them. So Pastor Clive talks about God preparing us for an unprecedented release. Well, how do we cooperate with him in that? Because we need to. He also quoted Job 11. Let's, uh, Let's have that on the screen if we can. Verse 13, yet if you devote, give over your heart to him entirely and stretch out your hands to him, which he spoke about stretching out our hands in prayer and maybe also in action. If you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, your home, then free of fault, you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water's gone by. Life for you will be brighter than noonday and darkness will become like morning. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest in safety. You will lie down with no one to make you afraid and many will court your favor. Why? Because as it says in Isaiah, what they will see on you is the glory and the fragrance of God. And they will say, surely God is with you and we need what you have. Enlarge your hearts. Let's enlarge our hearts, folks. Let's enlarge our hearts. How do we let God prepare for his unprecedented work? Enlarge your hearts. I want to see God flowing through us, rivers of living water that bring hope to a dying world. 
Let me quote Pastor Clive. Get your house in order. Get your life fully aligned with the Lord. He's calling us to holiness, consecration that's being set aside, and devotion that's wholeheartedness to see an unprecedented harvest. The stretching out of hands is a call to prayer. Live clean in your home. Live clean in the tent of meeting. Live clean in the presence of God. And Pastor Clive said, God told us you can either maintain the old or you can step into the new. This is not a time to sit and to watch. Psalm 24, verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand and be able to stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek your face. My dear friends, my prayer is that my heart is pure and that my hands are clean. I need his mercy. I need his grace. I need his anointing. And I need more of him. What I want to flow out from me, I want it to be mixed with fire and gold. What I want to flow out from me, I want it to be mixed with the fragrance of Christ. And I don't want anything else. I don't want me to flow from me. I want him and I want more of him. I want my life to count. I want to make a difference in this world. I want to be effective, fruitful. More of you, Jesus, less of me. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Run your race with determination. I want to finish my race. I do not want to be distracted, headed off, bought out, rusted out. I want to finish my race. And Hebrews 12 says, let the Father discipline you. It's not comfortable. But let him discipline you. Let him take your life and let him him work his discipline in your life. Hebrews 12 ends like this, verses 26 to 29. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. How do we cope with this shaking? We see it all over the world today. He goes on to tell us, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let us be thankful. So when you see a shaking going on, be thankful. Don't be anxious. Be thankful. And let's worship God acceptably. Let's turn our eyes on him, fix our eyes on him, not on the shaking, not on the loss that's taking place, but on him and worship him 
acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The fire of God is going to fall on all flesh. We're told that in Scripture. My dear friends, when that fire of God falls as it will, what is it going to burn up in you? Whatever isn't of God is going to have to go. The good news is we're made to express his glory, not to be destroyed by it. That's the good news. That's why you're here, as a vessel for his fire and gold and fragrance. That's why you're here. You're here to rejoice. So this is not intended to crush, but intended to lift. I just felt the Lord saying this morning that that today, whatever is your ceiling can become your floor. God wants to lift you up. He wants to raise you higher where you've been stuck. He's going to open a trapdoor and make a way for you. He wants to lift you to a higher place. But when God's fire falls, whatever isn't of him is going to go. We're made to reveal that glory to this world. The greater the darkness, the brighter the light. We are called to be salt and light. We need to get our act together. We need to be part of God's solution for a hurting world, not part of the problem he has to deal with first. Listen, when God is revealed, and he will be, and he is being, the fear of the Lord falls. Part of our readings for this week have been Matthew 28. Something really leapt off the page at me here. Verse 4. When the angel, it's just an angel, folks, appeared at the tomb of Jesus, the Roman guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The glory of God, a little of it, was revealed, and these guys were like dead. But look what happened when the friends of Jesus saw the same angel. The women. The women who were friends of Jesus, though they were afraid, they were in awe, were filled with joy. When the glory of God falls, we can either be like dead people, Or we can be filled with joy. What makes the difference? The difference is whether we're friends of Jesus. What do you want? (laughs) I know what you want. You want to be friends with Jesus and filled with joy. How do we become friends of Jesus? We do what he says. He says, you are my friends if you do as I ask. And I want to focus now on something I believe he's asking us. Let go of unforgiveness. Let it go. And I want to tell you why that matters so much. We need to forgive those who've offended us. And we need to be reconciled with those to whom we've given offense. Both. 
Do you want to be forgiven by the Almighty? Then you have to forgive. It's not an option. You have to forgive. And here's how it works. Sin is the wrong we did and the good we never got around to. Sin is whatever has fallen short of who God is and God is love. Have you loved as you should? Have you withheld your love? It's sin. God is love and he calls on us to live in love. How does your love measure up? All have sinned and fallen short. There is none righteous. No, not one. We could never rise to where God is, ever. We could never live up to that. So he comes down to us to be with us at our level and his name is Emmanuel. God with us because we could never be with him. We'd be like dead people. But he wants to lift us up, not flatten us with his presence. So he comes to us and he sets aside that glory and that majesty because we'd never have coped with that. If you can't cope with Moses, who's been up a mountain, who has to veil his face because of the reflected glory, what's it going to be like? He saves that image of him glorified to the ascension and then he quickly gets out of the way. And these guys are going, (gasps) (laughs) he comes to us. And Jesus, the only man who ever lived, who never did any wrong, who deserved no punishment, the only one, the only one, he was punished for the whole of humanity. And you know, it wasn't forced on him. He volunteered. Love says, I'll do that. I'll do that. Only tyranny would say, Rory, you're doing that. No. He says, I'll do that. You know what that's going to cost? You know that is going to smart somewhat. I'll do that. He chose it. And why was it him who had to give his life? Well, one person could conceivably give their life for one other. But only the creator of the whole world could give his life for the whole world. Only Christ could do that. No other could do that. No good person could do that because that own person still has to pay for their own sins. They might, if they were sinless and they weren't, they might be able to pay for one. But only the sinless creator can pay for all of his creation and says, I'll do that. I'll do that. You see, justice demands that wrong is put right. Justice demands that a debt is paid in full. And Jesus paid your debt in full. So justice is satisfied. The judge himself who pronounces the sentence serves the sentence that justice demands. And that is called mercy. Oh, oh, wow. That's mercy 
to do that for me and for you. That's mercy. Have you received his mercy? If you haven't received his mercy, then you one day will stand before him on your own track record. My goodness me. I don't want to do that. I am not going to do that. I could not do that. I would be like a dead man in the presence of the glory of God. But I want to ascend his hill and and be able to stand there because by his mercy, I have a pure heart, not by my doing. By his mercy, I have clean hands. And because of his mercy, I can be in his presence and live in his presence and be like the women at the tomb rejoicing, not like the Roman soldiers, dead men. We need his mercy. Have you received his mercy? If you haven't received his mercy, lay hold of it with both hands today. See, what happened when Jesus did this was a a door that humanity slammed shut on the Almighty, was flung open by the Almighty himself, and we were invited to walk through. Some of us today might be standing at a door and wondering whether we're going through that. Please take a step. Take that step and go through that door because that's where mercy and life is found. That's where you are lifted up by the God who loves you and says, let me be your glory and the lifter of your head. God doesn't want to crush anybody. God doesn't have a point to prove. He wants to redeem you. He wants to give himself to you. And he says, just give yourself to me. If you haven't done that today, do that today. See, justice and mercy meet on the cross. We can see the cross over there. We can have mercy because justice has been satisfied in full. He paid our price if we will accept it. But because love is never tyranny, it will never insist. It will offer, but it will never insist. It will never force you to do what is best for you. It will offer. And that's what God does. He offers his mercy. He cannot and will not ever force his love upon us. So if you've never accepted that love, if you've never accepted him as savior, do it now. So mercy is available. But in order to receive mercy, there are some conditions. God's love is unconditional. But to receive his mercy, there are some conditions. And one is that we ourselves are merciful. Matthew 6 is the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus explains that, and we could all quote it from a different versions we've got. Let me just paraphrase the beginning of it. Our Father in heaven, we are in relationship with you And we honor your name. So let your love and justice and goodness be seen and poured out on this earth. Because this earth needs it. Let it be here just as it is in heaven. Let there be no difference, Lord God. Let whatever is wrong be put right. Whatever isn't loved, let it receive your love. We trust you to give us whatever we need today. 
for ourselves and for others. And then he continues, I'm going to go back to the NIV for this, Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's an awkward phrase. Yeah, it's awkward. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let me ask you a question. Which comes first? You forgiving others or God forgiving you? Some versions don't talk about debt. They talk about trespasses. What's a trespass? A trespass is where I wander onto what is yours. I don't belong there. I shouldn't be there but I'm on your territory. I'm on your toes, okay? It might have been an accident. Sorry about that. Or it might have been quite deliberate. In any event, it's a trespass. I shouldn't be there. Forgive us our trespasses as we have also forgiven those who trespass against us. Another version of it says debts, sins. Forgive us our sins, as we have also forgiven those who sin against us. What is sin? A lack of love. How many people have shown you a lack of love in your life, have offended you, have wounded you, have hurt you, have said stupid things about you, have not valued you as they should have? Forgive them in order to know his forgiveness. Let it go. You have not got a choice. If you want to walk in the fullness of his grace and mercy to you, let it go. You have to. He's really tough about it. Matthew 7, which is the next chapter, he says this. He says, do not judge. By that he means condemn right off. Or you too will be condemned and written off. For in the same way that you condemn other people, you write them off, you put them down, you give up on them, you will be judged. Measure for measure, which is where Shakespeare gets his play title from. In the same way as you are merciful, you will receive mercy. In the same way as you are not merciful, it will be withheld from you. He then goes on to give another example, sawdust and plank. You got a thing in your eye, mate. Yeah, you got a thing in your eye. I really need to help you with that thing. You know, what I'm saying is, Tom, Frank, you mate, you're not up to it. You're not up to it. And I, of course I am. I need to help you with that little thing that's troubling you and everybody around you. And he says, you hypocrite. Andrew, you hypocrite. You've got a plank in your eye and you're worried about a bit of sawdust that offends you in his? Come on, sort yourself out. Don't sort him out. Sort yourself out. Do you know, often the things that we hate in other people are the things we're most ashamed of in ourselves. Do you know that? The older you live. Yeah, the older you live. The thing that winds you up about them is the thing you hate about yourself, you're ashamed of and you don't want to do. And I'll tell you what makes you even worse than that is when you've actually overcome that and you think you did it by yourself. Uh 
Okay, I got over that. You can. Come on, you hypocrite. He says, you see, when I point a finger at you, I am pointing three fingers back at me. I cannot judge you. I'm not called to. I'm called to pray for you, bless you, encourage you, and to work with the one who is your glory and the lifter of your head, not to put you down, lift you up. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Do you get the order of it? You are merciful and then he shows you mercy. That's the order of it. It's consistent all the way through. Lord's Prayer, beginning of Matthew, this bit of Matthew 5 and elsewhere starts with you. Be merciful if you want to receive mercy. If we want God to forgive us, we have to forgive others first. And it goes a step further. We have to seek their forgiveness for any offence we have caused. Let me give you the example, Matthew 5. This is from the message. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering, that could be worship, that could be the offering we've taken, it could be any. If you want to give something to God in your place of worship, right? And you suddenly remember a grudge, not one that you have, but that a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. And then, and only then, come back and work out things with God. That language is strong. Put it right with people first. Then come to God. That's how he releases his glory and his fire, and his fragrance in your life. You want more of his glory, his fire, his fragrance? Say, give me a clean heart, Lord. Purify my heart, Lord. Give me hands that I can raise to you in blessing, that are not tainted by offendedness. Or whatever else the Lord is saying to you this morning. Matthew 18, 15, you know it. When there's a problem, there's a dispute. The principle behind it is not to win the argument, not to be proved right, to win back the relationship. That's what matters. He's given you a ministry of reconciliation. I do not want to stand before God in my own self-righteousness because I'd be like a dead man. You can have your righteousness, which the Bible tells us is like filthy rags. You can have it and you can do what you want with it. Or you can have God's righteousness, which is given to you. It's mercy poured out to you. But you can't have both. You can't have your righteousness and God's righteousness. You need mercy. So be merciful if you need mercy. He gives us his beauty in exchange for our ashes. You cannot have both. He cannot fill your hands with beauty while your hands are full of ashes of offendedness. Give up your offendedness. Give up your unforgiveness if you want to know his forgiveness. Be merciful 
if you want to receive his mercy. You have no choice if you want to be a friend of Jesus. It's not optional, folks. We can't carry this stuff around with us. It only kills us anyway. We have to do as he commands if we're to be his friends. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God is so good. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.